welcome to the Practical Research Parenting Podcast. Here's your host, Nicole Weeks. Hello. If you listened to last week's episode, Sibling Rivalry with Dr. Laura Markham, Part 1, you'd know how amazing and helpful Laura's content is. If you missed it, I'd start there. This episode, we get just as much value. We discuss what undermines sibling relationships, including timeout. Again, I apologize for the audio quality. You can request the transcript on the show notes if it's too hard to listen to at www.practicalresearchparenting.com forward slash sibling two. So here's the interview. We've talked about what parenting practices support sibling relationships. What undermines the sibling relationships? Well, there are two big things. There are probably many smaller things that we should Mm. talk about, but there are two big things. Yeah. One big thing is taking sides. So I mentioned when you habitually take the little one's side because the big one picks on them, you're setting up a situation where one child feels constantly like they're the bad kid and you don't love them, Yeah. and so they'll pick on the other one more. And you're also setting up a situation where the one who's, who's getting defended feels like they're a victim. They can't stand up for themselves. Mm. And they're also learning that what you're teaching them is that if they just fuss, You know, mommy runs to their aid, and so they are looking for ways to get their sibling in trouble. Mm. In fact, they begin to worry. If you you have one who you always defend, um, they will begin to worry when you're nice to the other one. So, you know, let's say your three-year-old is used to you jumping in to defend him, and, you know, from his big sister, mm. and then you know, one day you say to the big sister, oh, you helped me carry that. I, I so appreciate that. You you know, I, I love it when you help me carry things like that. You're just giving her a nice recognition for what mm. she's done. The three-year-old looks at her and looks at you and thinks, uh-oh, I'm, at, I'm now, you know, mommy always sticks up for me, but now she likes the, the five-year-old. Mm. I better do something to get the five-year-old in trouble, Right. So yeah. there's, you really are setting up competition that's never a good idea. So parents say, well, what do I do? I have to defend the three-year-old for the five-year-old. She's nasty to him. Mm. Well, you do just what we talked about before where you come in and you, instead of jumping down the five-year-old's throat, you say to the three-year-old, um, you know, the first thing you might say if you start to hear noises that don't sound happy is, is everybody having fun in there? Sounds like somebody's not liking this too much. And you come in and you say, you know, honey, you don't look so happy about this. You can tell your sister if you don't want to play this game. Mm. So you're coaching him to stand up for himself as opposed to criticizing her. Yeah. And you can even empathize with her. You can even say, she might say, but I like playing school and, and I want to be the teacher and he has to be the student and I have to wrap his knuckles. That's what teachers do, you know, or whatever. And mm. at that point you say, yeah, you love being the teacher, don't you? And you think teachers wrap the knuckles of the kids? Mm. I can see how you would want to do that, but it seems like he isn't liking that very much. So mm. he's saying, please don't wrap the knuckles. So what could you do instead? You want to get some teddy bears to sit in the front row and you can wrap their knuckles? You know, like you can help her. You notice it's, there's no judgment here. You're not saying, you hard girl, how can you hurt your brother? You're saying, let's find another way to get your needs met, right? Mm-hmm. She's obviously working out something happened to her that she's observed in school or whatever. So my point is just there are always ways to intervene that don't make the other child wrong, even when they're wrong, even when 
he shouldn't be wrapping his knuckles, right? Even mm. when the child is wrong. So even when you need to set a limit, even when the child has clearly done something that hurt the other child, mm. you can do it in a way that is understanding of the child's perspective. We call that empathy. You're understanding mm. her point of view. So, you know, she pushed him down. He's crying. He's sitting there. The 18-month-old is sitting there on his bottom crying. He just got pushed down. Mm. You're scooting over, pulling him onto your lap, comforting him, and you say out to him, ouch, that hurt. Or maybe it just surprised you. Ouch. You didn't like getting pushed down. You can tell your sister, no pushing. Pushing hurts. Mm -hmm. So, again, you're coaching him, even though he, 18 months, isn't going to be able to say this to her probably. Mm. And then you turn to her and you say, sweetheart, no pushing. Pushing hurts. Your brother's crying. And then maybe you can even figure it out. Like, oh, it looks like you wanted to get to your toys on that shelf. You can say to your brother, now you, re- you, you understand her, you offer the understanding, now you help her solve her problem, or you redirect her. You say, you can say to your brother, move please, move please, yeah. and, 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 and she might say, I did say move please, and he wouldn't move. And you say, oh, I'm sorry, I wasn't here to help. You're taking responsibility, you're modeling how to take responsibility, because you want your kids to do that. And, and you say, I'm sorry, I wasn't here to help. What could you do if you say, move, please, and he doesn't move? Let's think. What could you do? Now, notice mm. you're doing this in a fun way. You're not saying, you, you atrocious girl, you should have, you know. You're mm. saying, what could you do? And she says, uh, push him. And you say, push him. Then what happens? Yup, he falls down and cries. Then what happens? No. No pushing. Pushing hurts. What mm-hmm. else could you do? And you come up, you brainstorm. But notice, there's no shame or blame in this conversation. Yeah. You're, being, you're having a very light touch to help her see another way to solve her problem. Mm. So again, at the end of this interaction, she's going to go make nice to her brother and pet him or say, move please, or whatever she's going to say to him mm. because she doesn't feel like she's the bad, unfavorite kid. But yeah. when you run in there to save him, then you're setting up more sibling rivalry. Mm. Yeah, that's fascinating. And it really highlights for me how important your mindset going in is because it's so, so easy to get caught up in this is, this is an emergency and I, I really need to get in there. And, and you almost feel like the, the child who pushed is malicious or, you know, you feel angry at them. But just taking that step back and going, no, we need to coach this situation, and there was probably some some reason for that push. Well, even if the reason is that she just can't keep her hands off him because she's so jealous, mm. then you know you have a problem that you need to address. Mm. You need to be spending one-on-one time with her every single day. You know, you said what kinds of parenting practices support the sibling relationship, and I said a close relationship with each child. Well. Mm. The close relationship, it comes from your connection, and that means one-on-one time every day with each child. Yeah. That can be hard to do, I understand, very hard. But yeah. if you have a child who is repeatedly demonstrating aggression to the other child, aggression comes from fear. The mm. fear is they have lost your love. So it is your responsibility at that point not to 
convince the child they shouldn't be aggressive by being aggressive to the child. That's just mm. going to make more aggression. It's to convince the child they don't need to be aggressive because they still have your love. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And sometimes this aggression just comes from just emotional overwhelm and the other sibling happens yes. to be the person in the way. No question. No question. That's true for all of us, right? Yeah. We come home from work and we're emotionally overwhelmed and our partner says something and we snap, you know, mm. well, that's true for all humans, even adults. And of course, kids have much less prefrontal cortex to rein themselves in in those moments yeah. or to, you know, what they need in those moments is to re-regulate. They're dysregulated. Yeah. And what helps a child re-regulate? Well, sometimes they need food or sleep, but often it's just closeness with mom or dad. They need yeah. to get that, that reconnecting going on. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And um, I think you mentioned that there were two things that, two major things that undermine sibling relationship. Have we mm-hmm. talked about both? Yes. Well, the other one is about how we solve problems and that's punishment. It's how we handle discipline. Most parents think that it is very important to teach kids lessons by punishing them. But if you do that, you will see your children teach each other lessons by punishing each other. And you don't need to. I mean, the child doesn't perceive punishment as we do. We Mm -hmm. think it's how we teach them lessons. They think it's how we abuse our power to get what we want. Mm. And so they do it. They learn from that. That's an okay thing to do. Yeah, right. Yeah, again, that modeling. Mm. Yeah. Right. And so, you know, your, your listeners are probably thinking, but, well, so how do I teach them lessons? And the answer is children don't learn lessons well when they're dysregulated anyway. You know, mm-hmm. so when, that's when they're in a state of emergency, fight, flight, or freeze. They're, they're, you know, all the non-essential functions of the body and brain turn off when we're in fight, flight, or freeze, because we have to ready ourselves to protect ourselves. Mm. So they don't learn then. The learning centers of the brain are shut down, just like the immune system goes offline and digestion goes offline. So the only way to teach lessons is when kids are calm. Mm. And we've discussed some of the ways we do that through modeling. So when there's an emergency, our job is to stop, you know, to do damage control if someone's hurting someone, stop that damage, you know, before it gets out of hand, and to calm everybody down. After people are calm, then you can teach, but you can't teach at that moment. So punishment never helps at that moment. It just escalates the storm. Yeah. It, it never is part of it. And punishment will always send a child into fight, flight, or freeze because punishment makes the child feel unsafe because mm-hmm. the parent who is their, their, the person on whom they depend for their, their very life, the person who feeds them, protects them, mm-hmm. keeps them safe, teaches them, you know, everything red, blue, mm. up, down, that person is now threatening them, threatening to hurt them. Mm. Even if you're not threatening to hurt them physically, you're threatening to cause them emotional pain, take away their mm. toy, put them on the naughty step. So if you're threatening to hurt your child, you know, the naughty step, you're depriving them of your love. You're saying to them, you can't be in my presence mm. while you're upset like this. You can only be in my presence if you meet my expectations. So my love for you is conditional, not unconditional, conditional. And therefore, guess what? It's a threat. It, mm. You're saying to your child, there's certain circumstances, you're banished. Sorry. And kids know what happens if they're banished. They're, they're out in the woods with yeah. Hansel and Gretel. They're in danger. So when we punish, children get dysregulated, and it mm. makes things worse, and they can't learn. So punishment never helps children learn. 
Uh, there are ways to guide behavior, and the number one way, as we spoke at the beginning of this conversation, mm. is connecting child. Yeah. yeah. And then, once you're connected and they're regulated, then they, they're like, oh, okay, I'll follow your lead. Sure, I'll get a toy to trade with my sister. Mm. And I guess by coaching them through the situation, you're giving them the skills mm-hmm. they need to better handle that situation in the future. Exactly. Exactly right. Mm. And that's what you want. It improves the sibling relationship, and they have a chance then to really be friends with their sibling. Mm-hmm. But it also improves every other relationship your child will ever have. Yeah. Every friendship, their marriage, everything. Their work relationships. Mm. Yeah. So may we move on to timeouts? Um, okay. Because I think part of the part of the appeal, I guess, of timeouts is is sort of the idea is that you're giving the child the time they need to calm down so they're learning when they're not in this fight or flight. Um, but I know you have quite a different view on timeout. So could you share what you think of it and and what alternatives there are? Well, when you're upset mm. and you need a chance to calm down and mm. feel better. Let's say something just happened that made you very, very upset at work mm. and you walk into your house and you're very upset about what just happened. Yeah. And your partner says, I see how upset you are. You need a chance to calm down. Why don't you go up to your room and ca- go up to the bedroom and calm down? Mm. And let's say you don't even have children. This is pre-children. Yeah. But go, go up to your room and calm down. And when you're ready, you can come talk to me about it. Mm. Now, notice that in that situation, your partner wasn't making you wrong. They weren't blaming you. They were just saying, go off and do it by yourself. Mm. Right? That's that model. Now, yeah. let's, let's look at a different possibility. You walk in the house, you're very upset, and you start to talk to your partner about it. And your partner says, oh, my goodness, no wonder you're upset. Tell me about it. Mm. And sits down and looks you in the eye and you say, I can't believe it. Can you believe it? Then, and then this one, and, and then... And, and you're, you're ranting and raving, and your partner says, oh, wow, oh, my goodness, oh, no wonder you feel bad. Mm-hmm. And you're, you know, ranting, and then you burst into tears, and you cry on your partner's shoulder, mm-hmm. and then you're done. And you get a big hug from your partner, your partner says, wow, you have had a tough day. I am so sorry you had to go through that. Mm-hmm. Now, how do you feel about that second scenario versus the first scenario? Which one is going to actually help you with your feelings more? Yeah, well, the second where they're listening and helping, yeah. And which one is going to bring you closer to your partner? Yeah, the second. Right. Mm. So let's say it's an even more extreme case. More like, I say extreme, more like the child situation, which is you have a fight with your partner. Mm. And you're ranting and raving at your partner. And your partner says, you are so upset about this, I want to hear about it. And lets you rant and rave and listens and says, wow, I didn't understand you felt that way. Mm. My goodness. And at the end of it says, and, and, I still felt it was uncalled for when you did X, Y, Z. Smashed in the windows of my car. You know, yeah, right. <laughs> right? Um, that is one scenario. And here's the other scenario. You're really angry at your partner. And your partner says, I can't believe you did that. Let's say it's not something egregious like smashing in the windows. Mm. Let's say it's just you called them a name or something. Mm. Um and they say, your partner says to you, when you can calm down and speak nicely to me, then we'll talk. Go be in your, go be, go stay in your room with, until you can calm down and be civil. Yeah. 
So again, which one brings you closer to your partner? Yeah, it's the first one. One helps yeah. your feelings. Yeah. Mm. So here's so let's think about timeouts. The reason we do timeouts, they were developed way back as an alternative to spanking, mm. and I think very good alternative to spanking. Mm. I think it's worse to, to hit someone's body and mm. hurt them. Because again, here's the person you depend on most in the world who's teaching you that part of a loving relationship is hurting another person physically. Mm. Not really something we want our children to learn. Mm. So, and all the research shows that, that what children learn from our smacking and spanking is that um, aggression is part of intimate relationships. Mm. That's not a good thing to teach them. Okay. Yeah. So, so many years ago, the recommendation began to be made that a better way to do it was to withdraw your love and attention from mm. the child. It, it, it's called timeout from positive reinforcement. We're not going to get that. We were, this was in the days of behaviorism and we mm. sort of thought a lot like, you know, rats. rats and we would yeah. just withdraw, withdraw the reinforcement of our positive attention and therefore the child would learn they only get attention if they're good. They don't get attention if they're bad. Right. Yeah. That was the idea. Yeah. So, we thought that they're learning from the timeout to um, to behave, basically. But here's the thing. It turns out that uh, when children are given timeouts, mm. they, they actually, um, it's called a love withdrawal technique for a reason. You know, they, they feel bad about themselves. Mm. So they misbehave more. This was a mm. National Institute of Health study that was done in the United States. Yeah. And... Uh, the the authors of the study were actually really surprised because they thought it would be such a good technique, and mm. they were they were taken aback by not only did the children misbehave more, mm. Mm. the children um, did not uh, on every indicator of emotional health that they tested the kids, the children were less healthy emotionally, and their moral development suffered. Instead of learning to be better people their moral development actually went in the opposite direction. So they behaved worse, their moral development was sabotaged, and they weren't as emotionally healthy. So, you know, it makes sense. Children need to feel connected to us to feel safe. But at the time, this was before we understood attachment. So the the people who did the study were actually quite surprised and quite taken aback. Yeah, so that study you were mentioning on timeouts, so that was longitudinal, was it? No, they did. It was not. Uh, they didn't follow the children for that long. It was, right. which is what a longitudinal study is. They followed the children for long enough to give them a lot of different emotional tests, but they don't really. You know, longitudinal studies are very um, challenging. Mm. They're expensive. It's hard to keep your same subjects with you, mm. and we find that. Our, our science is getting better over time so quickly that the measures that you use in the beginning are no longer measures that you think are that good 20 years later or whatever. So I would love to see longitudinal studies on uh, timeouts, for instance, and I have never seen one. But I do find it funny that there are all these people who say, oh, timeouts are very effective. So I'm not sure what they're effective for. We know they're not effective in stopping the misbehavior. They might stop it immediately, mm. but we know the child is in this misbehavior soon afterwards. That was what this NIMH study showed. So, mm. And it's not the only one. There are other ones. Uh, so 
it's not effective for stopping the misbehavior. So what's it effective for? Exactly. You yeah. know, it's, it's certainly not effective for helping kids grow up healthy because it sabotages their moral development mm. and their emotional. And we also know that when you talk to children, children, uh, college students, and you ask them retrospectively to talk about how their parents um, felt about them, mm. children who say, you know, my mom and dad loved me, but I did feel I had to be a certain way to be acceptable to them. Mm. Those kids, worse, of course. They, the children who say, oh, no matter what, even if I was bad, even if I, you know, drove them crazy, whatever, my parents always saw the best in me and believed in me and loved mm. me and listened to me. You know, those kids do a lot better, obviously. Yeah. So, again, how does time out fit into that? Well, we don't know exactly, but we do know it's not a message of unconditional love. Mm. So we don't have studies that really show us what we want to see. But given what we do have, I sure wouldn't do it with my kid. Yeah. And yeah. The great no. thing is they need to. There's zero reason to do a timeout. So you said that timeouts are great because, oh, you didn't say they were great. You said mm. the reason people use them is that yep. they help the child calm down. Absolutely yep. right. Yep. Calming down is a really important thing. As I said, when there's misbehavior going on, our job is to do, you know, run interference, for, to do damage control, mm. and to calm everybody down. But children sent off by themselves don't mm. calm down mm. in a way that we would think is healthy. Yeah. What they do, because they don't have anyone to express themselves to, they don't have a witness who they can talk to about their problem the way that we might want to talk to our partner when we get home from work. Mm. So what the mm. child does, they end up stuffing those feelings. In the right. same way, if you went back to your office after your boss had yelled at you, you would try very hard not to cry. You would bite your lip. You would stuff those feelings, right? Yeah. But what happens yeah. to feelings that we stuff? They're no longer under conscious control. They don't go mm. away. When you when your boss yells at you, those feelings don't just vanish because you decide to walk out of your office with your head held high. They, the feelings don't go away. They're still locked up in there, ready to come out. And the only thing we've done with our child when we say, go calm down, is... We've cut off the child's awareness of the feelings, or the child has cut off his own awareness of the feelings, tried to stuff them down to get control over them. But mm. feelings that are no longer under conscious control, you know, we know how repressed feelings work. They jump out. They're no mm. longer under conscious control, and the kid is going to hold off and smack his sister. Or when we get home and our boss has yelled at us, we're going to find ourselves yelling at our kid. Mm. That's what happens to emotions that don't get help. So... Again, if we're looking at, you know, um, how to help children not misbehave again and how to help them, even how to help them calm down in a healthy way, mm. we want to teach them. It's called emotion coaching. You yeah. coach someone through their emotions by listening to what they have to say, by acknowledging their point of view, mm -hmm. by, by creating safety so that they can get past the anger that they're indulging in because they're scared usually and they can start to cry yeah right because mm. you know right after your boss yells at you you might you might be ranting and raving about it but then when you really feel safe and you really get to the real feelings you just burst into tears mm. because that's 
a vulnerable feeling that the anger is hiding. The same thing is true for the child. So in, notice the emotion coaching doesn't happen when your child's been sent to the naughty step. Mm-hmm. And in fact, the NMH study I mentioned, those mothers who sent their kid to the naughty step did teach the child afterwards. It's not like they just said, okay, come join the family again. No, mm-hmm. they said, what did wrong? Why are you on the naughty step? Will you do that again? Good. Okay, good boy. Give me a kiss now. Okay, go, go and play. So mm-hmm. they did try to teach the child. But because the child had to stuff the feelings to begin with and then still felt bad, he never got help to actually deal with the source of the misbehavior. Mm-hmm. With a moment, he deal with the source of the misbehavior so the child doesn't need to misbehave again. Yeah. Yeah, okay. That makes yeah. a lot of sense. So... It's it's a big paradigm shift from sort of carrot and stick mentality that I guess a lot of us were brought up with. So when looked at from the carrot and stick sort of mentality, it can feel like you're rewarding the misbehaviour with hugs and attention. Is that ever a concern? Well, I guess with a lab rat, we might we might worry about that. Children are much more complicated than that. Yeah, because, I mean, you're assuming that the behaviour is freely chosen. Right? Mm. You're assuming it's a fairly simple process that mm. the child is choosing to do or not do. Yeah. Um, the kinds of things we're talking about are not simple processes. Mm. You know, what this child to lash out, for instance, is that he's dysregulated. He feels disconnected. He feels unloved. And so, you know, it would, let's say he was hungry. Let's say he lashes out because he's hungry. We've all mm. seen that when a child is tired and hungry. Um, and at that point, would you say, well, we wouldn't want to reward that behavior by feeding him mm. or letting him nap. Mm. So let's, let's keep him awake and let's not feed him because we wouldn't want to reward that behavior. No. When you're talking about meeting basic needs, mm. basic needs means, you know, you meet the basic needs so you don't still, you know, um, have the child doing that behavior, mm. right? If you don't meet the basic needs, they will repeat the behavior. So... That's the way I would look at it. It's you know, it, it, are you rewarding misbe? Are you rewarding a child who's cranky and hungry? Are you rewarding his crankiness by feeding him? No, mm. you're meeting his needs. Yeah. If you have a child yeah. who's connected and dysregulated, and you help him to calm down and you soothe him and you listen to why he was so upset and you help him solve that problem, are you rewarding the child? No. You're helping him solve his problem and meet his basic needs so he doesn't need to act on that. Mm. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I guess the um, the difficulty is is deciding whether everything is a need or whether sometimes kids act out of, um, well, a judgment that the punish will, you know, the result won't be as bad as the joy they get from doing it or whatever. Um I'm not sure. Oh, ah, well, you're still in an old-fashioned paradigm if you believe that, because mm. that 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 paradigm says that punishment is the best way to influence a human being. Mm. But we know it's not. True. Yeah. It's certainly not for a crime of passion, right? Mm. We know it's not true for a crime of passion, and most of what we're talking about with children is a crime of passion. Yeah. But it's not even true in general. It's been proven that. Humans respond to influence and connection more than, in other words, the carrot, more than to the stick, right? Right. So uh, I think, so if you're saying the child thinks that it'll be more fun to jump on the couch, and if you're not going to punish them with a timeout, 
why shouldn't they go ahead and jump on the couch? Mm-hmm. I would say, totally get it. Yep. Every, any child in the world is going to say, there's no reason for me not to jump on the couch. Except for one thing. Mm-hmm. There's something your child wants more than they want to jump on the couch. They want that warm relationship with you. Mm-hmm. So if they start jumping on the couch, you go, whoa, whoa, whoa. Oh, no. You've got your shoes on. That's going to get mud on the couch. Oh, no. And you're dismayed, and you mm. take them off the couch. You help them say, oh, quick, Sarah, get the sponge. We have to clean this up. Oh, my goodness, this poor couch. Let's fix it up, honey. Mm. If you do that, your child is going to be like, oh, I'm mom's helper. I'm fixing up the couch. I wouldn't want to make mom be upset about the couch. Mm. That's more important than jumping on the couch because yeah. the relationship is what matters to her. Mm, which is why that connection is so important because if you don't have that, then, uh, well, there's, there's less, I guess, motivation to do what you ask or make you pleased. Right. Right. Exactly. Mm. They Mm. don't have the motivation. If you have been punishing, you've already eroded the relationship with the child. So the most important thing to do is to begin reclaiming that relationship connecting with your child, understanding their point of view as much as possible, and acknowledging it to them. Yeah. And when you build the relationship, you find that discipline is really not needed very much because, I mean, I would just say, I have a 25-year-old and a 21-year-old. Mm. They were never punished. They never had a timeout. Mm. Were they perfect? No, of course not. They were children. But they wanted to stay they wanted that warm peaceful happy feeling in our family Mm. the last thing they wanted was to see a look of dismay on my face that was in relation to them Mm. yeah okay wonderful just um one more question and then I'll, i'll get to wrapping up which i think is an important one um positive parenting can be mistaken for permissive parenting so what's the difference Mm. well permissive parents don't set limits Mm. Positive parents set limits all day, every day, just like yeah. other responsible parents do. Yeah. But, but, what is a limit? A limit is saying, here's my expectation. My expectation is you won't hit your sister, you won't jump on the couch, right? Mm. And then, in addition to setting that limit, see, an authoritarian parent sets that limit too. Yeah. But they enforce it with punishment. Mm. The, the parent who is a positive parent says, I know it's hard for you to respect that limit, to observe that limit. So what I'm going to do is give you enough support to meet that limit. Yeah. The permissive parent just says, okay, forget it. Jump on the couch. Yeah. You know? And then when they hit their sister, again, it's like throw up their hands. It's like, There's no, I just can't do anything with this kid. The yeah. permissive parent, right? They don't even bother to set the limits. Or mm-hmm. they get pushed to the end of their rope and then they're screaming at the kid. So they're sort yeah. of a mixture of permissive and authoritarian. Yeah. But the parent says... I know it's hard for you to observe those limits and to to live with those limits. I know it. I'm going to make it as easy as possible for you to meet those expectations. One way I do that is I offer you understanding as I set the limit. Mm -hmm. So it's what I call the limit. Yes, you wanted your sister to move. That's why you pushed her. You can do this instead. You can say, right? So you're giving them as much support as necessary. Mm. And when they break those limits... You're, mm-hmm. or they're consistently breaking them, probably feeling bad, whatever. Um, how do you enforce that limit, I guess? All behavior is a communication. Mm. All behavior. So yeah. if they're consistently breaking that limit, you're looking at why. Anything that's consistent mm. is an issue, right? Yeah. 
you were consistently doing something that wasn't such a great idea, like eating two slices of cake every night, yep. you would want to know why you were doing that. Maybe it's emotional eating. Maybe you forgot to eat all day because you were so busy. You would address the issue, not mm. smack to the head, right? Yep. You know, or give yourself a place in your room for, for half an hour by yourself. You, know, you, would, you would address the, the reason. Yeah. So if your child is repeatedly doing something that's not okay, that's against your limit, mm. you would say, Hmm, I see you repeatedly doing this. Now, you could ask your child why, but they usually don't know why. Just like you may not know initially about three pieces of cake every night. Mm. But, but your child may not know why, but if you observe, you can figure it out. Huh, I wonder why he's doing this well. Mm. He's tired and hungry and, you know, feels alone. And I guess I've read that you have to stay connected. And I'm so busy with the other two kids, I don't really give him a lot of time. And let's do this. Let's address maybe he's feeling disconnected. Let's mm. spend every single day 20 minutes alone with him after I put the other two to bed. Let's see yeah. if that makes a difference. I guarantee you it will with any child for any reason, you know, um, because connection always makes a difference, yeah. right? Or well, if I stop shouting at him all the time and smacking him, whether that makes a difference, I guarantee you it will. So you can, um, you can always figure out how to address the child's behavior by meeting their needs mm. and addressing feelings, emotion coaching. And mm. because emotions and needs are always behind behavior, you can always change behavior that way. Mm. Otherwise, you might be able to stop a behavior, but it'll just come out in some other way if the feeling and the need are not addressed. Yeah. Like maybe out of nightmares. Like one mom just wrote to me, you know, her her son had been I don't I think he had been mean to the baby and mm. she had punished him fairly severely mm. and so he stopped mm-hmm. being the baby overtly at least when she could see him but he started peeing around the house like he would pee mm. down the, the mm. scent in his room and then he finally peed on the baby you know so it's like we know, we know what's going on in that situation and you know punishing him is not going to help the feelings are still there we have mm. to help him with the feelings that are there and then he'll stop peeing on the baby yeah Yep. So I guess in yep. the situation, you might need to to pull the child away um, and have time in, um, take them away from the situation where they're doing something bad, whether it's hitting their other sibling or whatever it is. Um, yes, and you know we always get so upset in that moment, mm. but really take a larger view. Pull back your camera and take a larger view. Mm. You know, here's the kid, the new baby in the family, and he's feeling terrible and. He got in big trouble, so now he pees on the baby because this is one area that he has control over that you don't. He mm. keeps the control his own back, you know. So if we can take a longer view, a bigger view, we can address it. If we think we have to solve it in that moment, well, that's too limited a time frame to do anything. You yeah. know, he's already a baby in this case. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um Okay, so just before we finish up, could you please tell us a bit about you? So what's your career path been? What's your I have a PhD in clinical psychology from Columbia University in North America, obviously, in the United mm-hmm. States, in New York. And I, re- I was always interested in children. From the time I was young, I babysat a lot as I was growing up, and I, I had younger sibs. Mm-hmm. And I read a lot about children just because mm-hmm. I was interested in it and then through my PhD studies I, I studied attachment and I studied a lot mm-hmm. about children's emotional development mm-hmm. and then I, around the time I finished my PhD 25 years ago 
I, my son was born. Mm. And that's when I realized that children are coming into the world just all completely individual, mm. but all, all ready to love and be loved. Yeah. And somehow, we as a society damage them mm. off so that they don't feel loved mm. and don't give love. And how could we do that better? And, the, and I looked at the parents around me and I saw, you know, they hadn't had a chance to read the research I read. And mm. they, they were doing their best, their very best, yeah. over and over again, day after day, in the face of no sleep and no societal support mm. and no attention. And they were not necessarily making the decisions I would make because they didn't have the information I had and they had no support and they were exhausted and they didn't, they, they couldn't, you know, how could they stay calm when one kid hits the other? They, they were mm. running on empty half the time and no, not able to do self-care. So I decided at that point to devote my life to supporting parents. Mm. But that's the way, that's the only chance we have to raise the next generation of children yeah. so that they have brains that are wired in a more positive way. Mm. Yeah, wonderful. And at what point did you start AHA Parenting? Oh, uh, many years ago now, but I've, it's gone through many incarnations. It was mm. called uh, Your Parenting Solutions before it was called that. My mm. first book came out in, in uh, 2012, so only four years ago. Mm. Uh, that, that book is Peaceful Parent, Happy Kids. Yeah. So the website is called AHA Parenting, as you said, like mm. AHA Moments, mm. A-H-A, parenting.com. And it does have info about these ideas mm. and info about how to parent children of each age. Mm. But Peaceful Parent Happy Kids, the book, which in Great Britain is called Calm Parents Happy Kids, so it's yeah. a different title but the same book, huh. um, Calm Parents Happy Kids uh, is really... Um, it's, I, I put all these ideas together in a much more comprehensive way so you can mm. just read it from start to finish. You can see how each age group is affected mm. and you can see how to apply these ideas. Uh, the website is over a thousand pages and so it's very extensive, mm. but it's also therefore no one can sit down and read it the way you can yeah. sit down and read a book. So it's a little harder to get your hands around it yeah. and see how to apply it to your family. And then the second book is Calm Parents, Happy Siblings. Mm -hmm. And that book was published, um, I guess, uh, a little over a year ago now. Mm -hmm. And is how to, I, I always say start with the first book because it's the basic ideas. Yeah. But then if you're still having issues, if you have more than one child, then get the second book because it tells you how to apply these ideas in the sibling relationship. Mm -hmm. And as you say, you know, you use these ideas for your kids, and it, it, I hear over and over from parents, it makes a tremendous difference sure in does, their yeah. school relationships. Yeah. yeah. All right. Thank you so much for your time, Laura. I really appreciate it. So, it was a pleasure to speak with you today, Nicole. I've already seen improvements in my parenting just from this short refresher. If you liked Laura's content, please check out her site and her books. She really is an inspiration. Links to Laura's content are on the show notes, as well as links to some of the research on Time Out and another podcast specifically talking about Time Out. The show notes are at www.practicalresearchparenting.com forward slash sibling two. I looked into Time Out a bit further. It's considered a form of love withdrawal, which makes sense. If your child misbehaves, you withdraw your attention for a few minutes while they sit in a corner, which to kids 
would be experienced as love withdrawal. As Laura said, love withdrawal isn't associated with moral development. Children whose parents rely more on inductive discipline, which includes coaching, empathy, acknowledging other children's emotions, are rated as more pro-social, more likely to take responsibility for their actions, and more likely to consider other children's perspectives. In contrast, children whose parents rely more on power or assertive discipline, such as punishments, are rated as less pro-social and less likely to take responsibility for their actions. I'd imagine time out might actually fall into this category sometimes, especially if your child's refusing to go out to the, go to the time out corner and therefore you have to coerce them to get them there. Um, so that potentially would draw time out more into this parasertive discipline area. Children whose parents rely heavily on love withdrawal, which includes time out, don't really show any consistent, consistent tendencies either way. So while timeout seems to be better than power assertive methods, it doesn't have any of the benefits of coaching. So for the references to this and resources, please check out the show notes. Again, that's practicalresearchparenting.com forward slash sibling two. Also tune in next time as I interview Elaine Friend, a specialist in highly sensitive people and children with a very interesting therapy practice using equine assisted learning.